baseball has undoubtedly been, undoubtedly was the first love of my life. When I was about three to four years old, I believe I was signed up when I was three, and at the end of the season I was four, my mom had signed me up for, me and my sister up for t-ball over there at uh, Toro Park Elementary School, it was the Toro League. And that was when my career began. My my, I wouldn't say that's when my dream of becoming a professional baseball player began, but that obviously was when my baseball career began. And you know, it was a typical t-ball season. Uh, like I said, I was three, four years old. I mean, what can you really expect from from that age range? But one thing that you know, and I I, I don't know if this memory is one that I have repeated to myself so many times over the years that it's become believable to myself and thus is made up or if it actually did happen but in my recollection it was the end of the season my mom sister and I were walking to the snack shack over there in Toro Park and she was asking us how we thought of the season you know what do we think of the sport uh, being that she had signed both my sister and I up uh, for the season. And I remember my sister saying, you know, she did, wasn't really a big fan of it. And I do remember myself, which responded and said, uh, you know, I enjoyed the season. However, I know that it's going to get much better uh, in the future. And obviously, being three or four years old, that's a pretty insightful thing to say, which when I think back and, and, uh, about this particular event is what kind of makes me question like you know hey was this something that I repeated to myself so many times that I believe it all of a sudden or is it something that actually happened uh, either way uh, I stuck with the sport uh, and continued uh, upon my path as a baseball player and now you know baseball obviously when you're at that age progresses at a, a, a fairly slow pace uh, you know, you go from t-ball, you go to coach bit, coach pitch where they're tossing underhand to you, where they're tossing overhand to you, uh, and then when they're tossing uh, through a pitching machine to you, and then you finally reach the pinnacle um, of your young career, which is a kid pitch, which is where actual players are actually pitching to you. And when I reached that level, shoot, I was probably, I don't know. You know, I have to look back, but I was probably about 11, maybe 12 years old. And up until that point, I thought I was pretty good at baseball. Uh, however, I was soon to find out that I was actually not good at all at baseball. Uh, and that season, the first season of kid pitch resulted in me only obtaining one hit uh, the entire season, which obviously those of you who know baseball uh, would laugh at and say, wow, you did suck, uh, because I did suck. You know, if you look at my, my baseball pictures, uh, the ones that are taken prior to the season beginning, I looked like this nerdy little skinny kid who had no idea how to hold the baseball bat. And if you were to look at me when I actually was on the field, I was the same representation, although I had a, a helmet with the addition of a cage around 
the facial feature of the helmet. And so I was that nerdy kid that one, couldn't hit for the life of him, and two, was afraid of the baseball, so much so that I required a cage to protect my face, even though that was completely unnecessary. Uh, at the end of the season, though, I will tell you this, that I did get my one and only hit, and it was the last game of the season, and I did hit a double. I remember that. I do remember that. And that, uh, unlike uh, the memory of when I was playing in T-ball, uh, is concrete. I'm sure that that actually did happen. I know that, that I did get a hit, and I know that it was a double, and I know it was the last game of the season uh, in my first year of kid pitch. And so anyways, long story short, for that first chapter there, uh, you know, I sucked at baseball. And, you know, one thing that stuck out to me, I think it was around that same time, you know, it might have been a little bit earlier, uh, was that that was around the time when the Marlins, uh, the Miami Marlins, won the World Series. I believe that was in 97 you know, it might have been a few years before I was a kid in, in kid pitch, but I do remember that, and that was a time in my life where, you know, I was watching TV, it was suddenly my bedtime, and, and however, my dad allowed me uh, and, and bartered with my mom to allow me to stay up and watch the end of the World Series at that time, and I watched the Marlins win the World Series, I believe that was in 1997. Uh, it could have been in the later 90, 1990s. But when that occurred, to me, that is the, the, the starting point for when I knew that that was the path that I was going to follow as a young man, uh, young child, actually, at that time, and that I was going to pursue the career as a baseball player. And so anyways, here I am. I'm in, I'm in kid pitch. I got one hit. Uh, I, I, I essentially suck suck at baseball and I'm going into my next year of kid pitch and uh, I, I me personally I'm just like you know I'm concerned about watching Spongebob I'm concerned about just having fun and you know I had luckily I had other mentors that were looking out for me and said hey man you know this kid's left-handed and he needs to have a baseball in his hand he needs to be on the pitching mound and that to that credit I, I give to my dad's good friend uh, his name is Bodie and he actually told my dad, hey, you know what, you should put a baseball in his hand and you should put him on the mound. Now, that offseason uh, was an extremely difficult offseason for me. Uh, it was not fun. Uh, if you know anything about pitching, it's an extremely difficult art. And especially if you suck and are uncoordinated and are a tall, lanky kid, uh, you can imagine that it would be a, a, you know, 10 times difficult, sometimes more difficult than the average Joe. And there were multiple times where I left the basketball court, which was right next to my family's house in Spreckles, and I was crying because I was like, you know, hey, I can't hit the target. I can't master these stupid mechanics that you want me to, to maneuver through. And it was frustrating, extremely frustrating. But nonetheless, my love for baseball endured, and I began that, that, that season uh, as a pitcher and succeeded. You know, that was my first year. If you look, it's funny. If you look at my, my, my baseball pictures, which, like I said, are taken prior to the season, if you look at those p baseball pictures, you can see a distinct difference in my batting stance. Uh, showing one, this is this nerdy little kid, lanky, who doesn't know how to hold a baseball bat. 
to this kid who has practiced in the offseason and who has uh, developed some sort of sense on how to handle a baseball bat. And thus began me being a somewhat good baseball player. And that progressed throughout the years. Um, you know, I went, I went through Mustang as a pitcher. I just continued as my pitching career progressed, which was something that I, I, I continued to build off of. And, and I became uh, known uh, throughout my small community of baseball players as a more dominant pitcher in the younger leagues. Now, here we are again. Let's fast forward to high school baseball. My dream is still again. You know, in my head, it's like, hey, man, I'm in love with baseball. I am uh, fully dedicated to this sport, and let's rock and roll. It's, it's, it's high school time. It's time to go to 60 feet, 6 inches. And, you know, I was excited to do that. I know I, I, had, exci- I, had, I had coaches that were excited to have me at Salinas High School, but at the same time, I had my own growth spurt. I put on about 50 pounds, I I grew about four or five inches, and suddenly my mechanics, which I had mastered at the younger levels, uh, became ambiguous to this new, lanky, strong, heavy dude, which I had become. And I struggled, I struggled as a pitcher. Uh, You know, I, I, I didn't struggle so much so that I became a, a bad baseball player. I was still relatively good. However, I certainly was not as dominant as I was at the lower levels. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Uh, I progressed throughout high school as one average athlete would. I had the, my own freshman. Uh, I had my own freshman team. Uh, I was a freshman. I, was, I went through Froshoff. Uh, as a freshman, I went through JV as a sophomore, and then I played two years of varsity. So I went through the typical route and career of a high school athlete, not one which was uh, superior amongst his peers and would have begun as varsity or junior varsity as a freshman. I just kind of took the, the the regular old career path um, of a high school athlete. And throughout those years, I I grew into my own body. I, I, I was much more, I became much more of a hitter. Uh, I became much more of a pitcher as well. Um, however, my maturation as a pitcher really began uh, when I was a senior, which ultimately culminated into me uh, experiencing an injury, which we'll get to that point. But the point of the story is, is like, hey, look, as a young man, as a young adult, as a young high schooler, my dream and, and mentality was that I'm going to go pro. I'm, my, my dream was, uh, my conviction was that I am going to become a professional baseball player and I'm going to get drafted out of high school. That was, you know, as silly as that sounds, that was absolutely the truth. That's how I felt. I remember instances during practices in high school when I was on the pitching mound uh, in the bullpen and I had my, my teammates, you know, a couple other pitchers around me, and we were talking, bullshitting about baseball, and, and I remember asking them, like, hey, you know, what what do you want to do with baseball? And they, were, they gave the response of, you know, I just want to play baseball in high school and, and move on, and that's kind of it, you know. And that, to me, just straight up did not make sense. My, my whole life 
was geared towards becoming a professional athlete and becoming a World Series champion, the likes of which I had seen when I watched the Marlins win back in 97. And again, I don't, I think it's 97. It might have been 98. I don't know. But nonetheless, I wanted to become a World Series champion. Uh, and, and that sounds funny. That sounds funny to, to those who don't understand. But to those who do understand, you get it, man. You get it, man. I loved, loved, and I still love baseball. And I know there are many people out there that love their sport. You know, it might not be baseball. It might be soccer. It might be basketball. It might be, uh, you know, it might be ping pong. I don't know what the fuck you like. But it might be your thing. And, and you get it. You know, that's one thing that we can all agree upon is that there are certain people out there that just absolutely understand and love their sport. And it's not just the sport which makes you. It's that conviction. It's that belief. It's that dream that you follow and that you pursue that that truly makes the difference and then which separates you from those of your peers who just want to play baseball who just want to play soccer who just want to play basketball you know i'm not i was never one of those people i was always the kid in 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 literally who would show up to practice with his entire uniform on being that in my head that was the most professional way i could go i wanted to be professional and to be a pro- most professional i could be was to wear my uniform at every practice and so that's what i did and so anyways, here I am. I'm in high school. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a baseball guy. Uh, my friends would make fun of me. They would say, you know, anytime something stressful comes up, Otto just goes to baseball land, which is completely true. You know, I didn't ever... The thing is that the thing that they got wrong, which was, you know, they would say I would go to baseball land. The thing they got wrong was that I was always in baseball land. I lived breathed slept baseball that's all i did when when mlb network came out during my high school years that's literally all i watched that's all i watched on tv was baseball uh i was a giants fan at heart my room is painted orange and black i have bobbleheads galore i have greg maddox signed autographs galore Uh, I, i am a giants fan through and through but at the end of the day i'm a baseball fan and i would watch any baseball game put on the TV. So anyways, long story short, again, I love baseball. That was my dream as a high schooler. Now enter my senior season and it was finally kind of make or break. It was like, hey man, we're gonna, we're gonna slap you in the face with reality and be like, look man, you know, I know you've never thought about college. I know you've never, you've always thought that you were gonna get drafted, but here you are, you're a left-handed pitcher. You don't throw 90 miles an hour. Uh, yeah, you're hitting really well. However, you know, you're not getting the attention that is needed to become drafted out of high school. Uh, we need to go to some show- showcases. And that's what I did, you know. I, I, I kind of opened up to the idea that, hey, I was going to have to go to college to continue my career, which I was okay with. I kind of, I understood that. Uh, then again, I still didn't know a lot of colleges. I was a senior in high school and I still thought that USC meant University of Santa Cruz. Uh, and, and you know, I'm proud of that because that just further emphasizes 
the depth of my commitment to being drafted out of high school was with that, you know, I straight up had no idea what college was or, or what college baseball could be. So much so that I thought USC stood for University of Santa Cruz. And anyways, here I am. I'm going to showcases. I'm pitching in front of scouts. Uh, people are liking what they're seeing. I'm strong. I'm, I'm tall. I'm athletic. Uh, I'm throwing in the mid to upper 80 miles an hour. And I've got a, a nasty hook. You know, if anybody knew me in that time, they knew that I had a nasty hook. And uh, I will be the first to tell you that I, I did. My hook was nasty. My curveball was, was nasty and it was sharp and it looked exactly like my fastball. Uh, and that's when Santa Clara, I was at a Santa Clara showcase. They came out. It was the winter of 2010. And they said, hey, you know, I want you to be on our team uh, for the following uh, following year as a freshman. And, you know, this was late in the, late in the recruiting season. It was late in the uh, yeah, recruitment season. And they really weren't offering me anything. You know, I didn't get a, 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 a big scholarship or anything like that. But they wanted me to play for them. And I was happy to accept the offer. You know, I was... I knew that it was a good school. I knew it was Division One. Uh, it wasn't anything that you know they weren't a team at that time that was extremely dominant or a, a high level, high high name team. But it was one that I was happy to play for, no doubt. Great business school, um, and I accepted. I said, okay, yeah, hell yeah, I'll play for you guys. And excuse me, I'm drinking a Negroni as well, but. I accepted the position and went on my merry way, you know. Uh, unfortunately, throughout that winter, uh, throughout my, my throwing program, I developed a shoulder pain, which eventually progressed to the point and became so extreme that I couldn't throw anymore. And I, suddenly, I just, I just straight up could not throw. My shoulder pain was, was too much. And I went to a physical therapist. I got an MRI. And... It was revealed to me that I had what is known as a slap tear. Uh, it's a tear in your labrum, tear in your rotator cuff, essentially just numerous tears in your shoulder. And to me, it had gotten to the point where I could not throw anymore. And this was again, this was early, early 2011. It was right before the season had started. And my coaches were aware of it. Um, you know, however, I don't think they were aware to the severity of it to where they knew that I was going to be out for the season and requiring surgery. Uh, but nonetheless, I couldn't throw, couldn't pitch. And Santa Clara called me up that year and they said, hey, man, you know, I know we want you to sign because for some reason I still had to sign, even though I wasn't really obtaining anything from them. But I still needed to sign a letter of intent. And they were saying, hey, man, we're not seeing any sort of action from you. We're looking at the newspapers and all you're doing is hitting, why aren't you pitching? And I tried to play it off and I tried to tell them that, hey man, uh, I'm just, you know, I'm just, uh, they're saving me for the season. That's what they're doing. They're saving me for the actual season. Preseason is just, they're letting everybody else throw, uh, but they're saving their big dogs for the season. Tried telling them that, I thought that was a good excuse. Turns out it wasn't because I still could not throw. And it was at that point, which I realized, again, that I was going to need to have surgery. And finally, when it came time to really, you know, they were really pressing me to sign, I had to fess up and tell them, like, hey, you know, I, 
I've got this tear in my shoulder uh, and I'm going to require surgery and rehab and going to Santa Clara just doesn't seem like it's the best route for me or for you and to which they absolutely agreed you know they don't want to uh, sign damaged goods you know I'm an incoming freshman they don't want me to one be an incoming freshman two have to recover from surgery uh, and three try to still maintain a level of athleticism and pitching ability to where I can make their division one team and so we both kind of agreed hey it's best if I if I go uh, my own route and get the surgery and go to junior college and try to rehab uh, and this is around the time which if you had listened to my first episode of this podcast uh, that's around the time when my first uh, instance and first becoming of uh, obsessive compulsive disorder actually began and I really started to uh, experience a true anxiety disorder because that was just complete cognitive dissonance um, and distrait disbelief for me and that is where the title of this podcast, you know, the, the life cycle of a dream, um, really takes center stage is that, you know, I had all this time, years and years and years where I was, I, I knew it, I knew it, you know, people told me, uh, you need to have a backup plan, but I was always the guy who would say, no, I don't have a backup plan. I'm going to become a baseball player. Um, and they said, you know, you should have a backup plan. And I said, no, I don't want a backup plan because this is what I want to do. And here it was the time where it was like, not that those people were right, but it became the time where it was like, wow, like this is not happening how I had envisioned it to occur. And, you know, I still, it still wasn't the end, but it was a big, big uh, instance of cognitive dissonance. And, you know, not only one was I not becoming a professional baseball player? But two, I wasn't even becoming a Division One baseball player. And three, I wasn't even becoming a college baseball player. I was becoming a junior college baseball player. Which again, no disrespect, college junior college baseball players. Like I said, I was one myself. Uh, but at that time, being one that believed that he was going to become a, a professional baseball player, that is quite a level um, uh, of acceptance. You know, it's a, it's a steep, I don't want to say drop, but it's a steep change in what you had originally had expected. But I dealt with it. You know, I had the surgery. I went to, I went to junior college, um, had, had two surgeries, actually. I had the first surgery, uh, didn't repair the original problem. And three months after that surgery, I actually had to have a second one, uh, which actually did repair it. It was called the bicep tenodesis, which is when... They take the, you know, a couple inches from my my bicep uh, bicep head, which enters into the shoulder capsule. They take a couple of those inches, they, they cut them out, and they re-anchor the new bicep head into a lower part of the humerus bone, which is just your, you know, from your elbow to your shoulder. That's your humerus right there. That's your bone there, and they anchor your, your bicep into that. And so it was a new kind of experimental surgery for overhead throwers like pitchers myself and it worked for me it worked uh, unfortunately the previous surgery that I had had tightened my shoulder capsule up so much so that I really did not have the range of motion that I had previously um, and even though I had 
been working out and, and eating right and, and stretching and doing all the things that I really needed to do uh, to get back to my, my peak performance, I really just never obtained that that level of uh, range of motion that was needed to actually pitch. And, it, and I did pitch. You know, I, I, I redshirted my first year at junior college. I came back. I pitched that fall. I pitched that season. Uh, but, you know, one thing that's difficult with pitching in baseball is that it's a very mental game. And when I actually became and, and begun competitively pitching, I just – I was different, you know, my, my mentality was different, my confidence was gone, you know, I remember when I was a senior in high school and I was showcasing for places, like, I just knew, when I got on the mound, it was like, I knew that you were out, you were out, you were a strikeout, you were a flyout, you were, you were done, you know, you had no chance against me, but when I came back from my surgery, all of that was gone, and I felt so alone, and I felt so, the innings felt so long, um, and the game had just changed so much for me that I just knew that like my confidence was completely gone. And and that was kind of that was the start of the demise of a dream, you know. I I I hate to say that uh you know, I was my own worst enemy in that situation, but I was, you know, and I think that that's common for people that are my of my own mentality, you know, the same mentality as me. Uh, I think that it's common to be your own worst enemy and just, it's very, very difficult to get that intangible level of, of athleticism, of, of mental competitiveness um, that is needed to perform at a high level and to maintain that belief and to, to maintain that dream. And I pitched my whole second year of junior college and I I did okay in the start, started to get a little shaky, and then got real shaky, and to the point where I got designated back to the bullpen, um, and it just wasn't the same, it just was not the same. I wasn't the same pitcher, wasn't the same athlete, I wasn't in the same mindset, so much so that you know I, I played the fall. The, the, the coming fall of my third year, of what would be my third year in, in junior college baseball. And I pitched okay during that. I pitched okay. I was also hitting. I was playing first base. But come early spring, I had made the decision that uh, that was the end. And that was the end of my, my own personal dream. And, you know, it was a extremely emotional experience um anyone who has quit a sport when they've had that level of commitment that level of you know mental competitiveness and and mental expectation knows that leaving that sport is an experience unlike any other uh, it's not just you just leaving a sport i think there's many people that just say oh you're just you know, big deal, man. You're just leaving baseball. You're leaving soccer. You're leaving basketball. You're leaving that sport, and, and you know now time time for you to join the new world. Time for you to join the 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 rest of society. But there's very little empathy given to those that do it, and and 
really it's the, you know, I hate to say it, but it's the death of a dream. And, you know, I went out there. I remember when I went out there and did that. It was the early part of, let's see, it was uh, 2013. It had to have been 2013. And, you know, I got I to gotta think about my dad when I, when I re- rehearsed this story or reminisce on this story. Because I was in the parking lot of MPC ready to walk up to my pitching coach and tell him that I was ready, that I was done. Um, and I was extremely emotional. I was, I was crying to myself. I was in my truck just... This was the end, you know? This was the end of, of, of me being a t-baller at three, four years old and thinking there's only good to come, you know? And here I am at the finish line. And it's my own doing. It's my own finish line that I created. And I got to give it to my dad for calling me. And he was willing to drive to stop his day at work. This was the middle of the week. He was willing to stop his day at work and drive from, from San Juan Batista all the way to Monterey to convince me to continue playing. And I don't know what to say about that other than that the truth is is that I didn't listen. You know, I didn't allow him to drive and make that drive to look me in the eyes and tell me to keep playing. I listened to him on the phone. I heard what he had to say and I moved forward with which I thought was the best direction. And that was the choice that I made. And that's the choice I still live with. Uh, 27 now. I was thinking I was 21 when I first made that. You know, 2021 when I first made that decision. I was 20. I was 20 years old when I first made that decision. And, and I remember sitting in the stands at MPC Baseball, and it was uh, in the winter time when there wasn't actual baseball going on, but my pitching coach was still having uh, exercises with his own uh, pupils out in the field. And here I come red-eyed and tears streaming down my face and telling him that I was done. You know, here I was, I, I, again, I don't know how to emphasize, and maybe it's just those that know me and who have known me throughout my own profession or my own, my own baseball career, but they knew that I was a baseball player. And here I am coming up to my coach telling him that I'm done and that I'm not going to continue with this season and I'm not going to continue with my own career and that there is a possibility, always, as we all say, there's a possibility, yeah, you know, I'm open to, to, to continuing my career as things progress, but at this point I'm not playing this season and I am quitting my sport. My sport, I'm quitting it. My dream, I'm quitting it. I'm done. And I kid you not, man, it was tears down my fucking face. Like it was it was miserable experience to have to go through. And it was undoubtedly one of the hardest, if not the hardest decision of my life. But it was one that I sit back today as 27-year-old and I think, you know, that was the only decision that I had to make at that time. 
And yeah, I could sit back and say, hey man, if I just had focused on playing first base and hitting, then I would have been fine. But you know, that's not what happened. You know, I was a baseball pitcher and I was a, I had a, had a pitcher's mentality and that's what I was going to be. And that's what I wasn't at that time. I was not a pitcher. I was one that would go out on the mound and I would just count the seconds in between outs and I would count the seconds between innings and I would sit out there and it felt like the longest fucking time for me to get back to the dugout. And by the time I got back to the dugout, I had let up three or four walks. I had let up a couple hits. I had let up a few runs and I let my fucking team down. And it just was not, this was not baseball. I began to grow anxious about the, the, the practices. I began to grow anxious about the games. I began to feel as though I wasn't even part of the team, as though I was one that just, yeah, I'm friends with everybody and I'm happy to be, you know, quote unquote, happy to be here on the outside, but really on the inside, I'm dreading this. You know, I was one back in my prime that you couldn't get enough practice out of me. I would practice so much that I would practice throughout the practice and then I would go home and practice more. And that is not an exaggeration. I would practice morning. I would practice afternoon. I would practice at the nighttime. I would practice at practice and then I would practice after practice. I lived and breathed baseball and here I am now dreading practice. Who the fuck am I at this point? Who am I? I can't even get on a baseball mound without this mess in my mind, this lack of confidence, and this demise of my own personal dream. And one might say, oh, well, your dream, you know, it's a demise of a dream, but what really, what people don't understand, it's not the demise of a dream, it's the demise of a self. It's the demise of the individual. When you dream so hard that at that level, where your dream is at that level, where that is what you are going to be undoubtedly in your head and that is over, it's not the demise of a dream. And you should walk off and just say, okay, well, I'm going to go become, I'm going to go to school and become an engineer. I'm going to become a finance guy. I'm going to become a teacher. I'm going to become this, that, whatever. That's not what happens. Because in that instance, your dream died, and so did your identity. And your identity, in my instance at least, in my experience, is all my experience, your identity is gone. And there's no more difficult experience to go through of a loss of identity when it is self-inflicted. Which is that, which is to say that you were not cut from the team, but you chose to leave the team. You chose to leave your sport and your dream. You chose to leave that. You chose to self-implode and leave your own true dream out there. And that was something, you know, here I am again, like I said. That happened in, in, I like to think it was 2013, and I have to do a little bit of thinking on that. But sitting here, sitting here raw, I would have to say it happened in 2013, and now here I am seven years later. 
And that was some, you know, I'm sitting here seven years later. I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good. Totally fine with this. I'm, I'm, I have reconciled my differences with that decision. And I've come to accept what had occurred. But I'll leave you with this and in, 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 in what I think is that those of you who have gone through an experience like this, when I reflect on this experience and when I think back from where I am today and where I was seven years ago when I made that decision, I liken it to the life cycle of a star, right? A star... I don't know how a star starts. I'm not an astrologist. But a star is a star. And as it ages, it grows and grows and grows. And to me, this is, you know, the dream growing and growing and growing. And then suddenly it begins to collapse. And whether that be from an injury, whether that be from a a negative coach, a negative experience on the field, a traumatizing experience outside of the field which impacts your performance and your your mentality on the field that star begins to collapse and it, it it becomes tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter until it becomes this small dense ball of matter and i think that is the point where we all make the decision and that decision is whether or not to continue or whether or not to end it. And me, I ended it. I ended that experience. I ended that pursuit. And maybe if I had pursued it, maybe it would have developed into something. But who the fuck knows? Not me. I don't know. Those that pursued that maybe are professional baseball players. But I didn't pursue it. And I know that there are a number of other people who did not pursue it. And so you're this this small, dense ball of energy. And what happens to a star at that point? But they explode, right? I believe so. Again, I'm not an astrologist. I'm a good dude sitting here in my studio sipping on a Negroni. But I believe that stars explode at that point or become black holes. Either which of is a mess, complete mess, complete disarray. And that to me, I I, I liken towards the loss of identity. And what I think that we fail to realize is that that implosion, that explosion, due to the density of the dream, should be considered endless possibility and should not be considered loss of identity. You know, I considered mine loss of identity and I went through all the different jumps and hurdles and, 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 and throws that one experiences and, and I'm sure much of you, many of you experience or have experienced that they've lost their own identity through that. But what I think is something that you should consider is that throughout that experience, throughout that explosion of identity is the possibility of new identity. And 
through the process of self-realization, self-reflection, and personal development, one can realize and reconcile what happened, why it happened, and where are we going to go from here? What kind of identity am I not only going to build, but authentically build? Who the fuck am I now? Who am I? Because all my life, I was a baseball player. That's who I was. Anybody who knew me, I was a baseball player. And that was over. That was the implosion. That was the, 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 the cease to exist. Now what am I? What am I? You know, I struggled with that for years. Years. And it has not been until recently, I would say within the last maybe year and a half to two years max, that I've begun to understand my own identity and my true identity into who I am as a person. And there are many different routes you can go. There are many different vices that can think, you can think that these are helping you, but they're not. They're not helping you. The only true way to get out of that funk and to understand who you truly are is to sit honestly and quietly and self-reflect and say, who am I? What are my actions? Who was I when I was a baseball player? Who was I when I quit? Who was I and what happened throughout those years after I ended my own dream? And throughout that process, I do believe that you will find who you are. You know, I used to not be able to even watch baseball after I had quit. Because it was too painful to be like, it was just in your face. It was just too much for me. But here I am, 2020, and I'm happy to watch baseball now. I'm happy for the experience that I, I had. You know, those years from in between quitting and now gave me the ability to reflect on the lessons, the intangible lessons that I learned throughout baseball. And if I were to tell you what the most important aspects of baseball were for me, they would not be those times when I was on the mound. They would not be those times when I was at the plate. They would be those times when I was with my brothers, when I was with my coaches, when I was learning about life, and I was learning about the beautiful game of which we were playing. And that's what I would tell you was the most important aspect of my career. And yeah, nobody knows me as a baseball player anymore, you know. They know that I used to play baseball, sure, some people do, but I'm not a baseball player anymore. I play Sunday League, and I fucking love it. I love it. I love it, and I treat it as though I was 15 years old and I was going to baseball, and I fucking love it. You ask anybody that I play baseball with on Sundays, and they'll tell you that I was a baseball player. They know it. But in reality, everyday life, I'm not a baseball player. You know, I am who I am. You know, and I've, I've come to realize my own identity, of which I will expand upon in further podcasts. But I know now that I'm not a baseball player right now. And that's something I'm okay with. You know? Do I love baseball? Absolutely. I'm ready to 
sip on this Negroni that's been sitting here for the last 40 minutes and watch Game 7 of the NLCS and, and, and hopefully watch the Dodgers lose. They're a great baseball team, but I'm still a Giants fan. I still love the baseball game. You know, I hope one day to be able to coach and pass on my own love for the game. But at the end of the day, I think that the most important thing is that I have done the self-reflection on my own career. I have done the self-reflection and, and, and the internalization of what has occurred and the trauma that occurred from those decisions that I made and finally have made peace with them. And like I said, you know, I ended with this again, I'll reiterate. The life cycle of a dream, I think, again, you're a star, right? We all think we're stars. We're all growing and growing and growing. And maybe you maybe you make it. Maybe you make it. And I, I hope you do. But like many of us, you might not. And upon that implosion, upon that density and that, 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 that come-togetherness of that energy, you might feel lost. But I do hope that throughout that process, you listen to these words and you understand that you are not alone. And through self-reflection, through being in the present moment and understanding what occurred, you will realize your true and authentic self. And you will realize that you did not need that sport to define you. Although you did learn many lessons throughout that sport, you did not need it to define you. And you can carry those lessons into other avenues of life. So like I said, go Braves. And good night.